Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Deftari. With impeachment, the left is hoping not to just be done with President Trump. They want to prevent him from ever running again and basically smearing his name to the point that he will become so irrelevant he won't even be able to show his face in public anymore. But that calculation is flawed. It doesn't take into account the huge momentum created and maintained by President Trump throughout the duration of his presidency. The merchandise, the hats, the rallies, Trump fever. We saw it across the country and even in the bluest cities, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, the president has a strong and committed base. The president also has a following among many immigrant groups. Many were surprised to see the number of Latinos who turned out uh, to vote for the president or the many vocal African-Americans who felt the president's message resonated with them. More surprisingly than anything else was the number of young people who not only supported the president, but got turned on to politics because of him, because of what he represented, and because for the first time, someone from outside the establishment was speaking to them directly in a way they could understand and relate to. So what happens now? What happens to the millions of young people and others who were finally content and even enthusiastic about where the country was headed, only to wake up and realize we will be going in an entirely different direction? What happens to the student groups, the meetings, the rallies? Where will all this energy go and how will Biden's America deal with it? To break this all down for us is political strategist, commentator and founder of Students for Trump, Ryan Fournier. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you here. Your perspective is quite relevant uh, right now. You basically are the head of an entire movement, uh, organizing students and young people, millennials um, in, in Students for Trump all across the country. What do you think was different about Trump as a candidate and then as a president that made him so popular among millennials? You know, I just remember the first time I saw him uh, when he announced, came down that golden escalator and I was in the store just kind of watching it and you know it was a bit of skepticism mixed with realism that this was donald trump we're talking about the host of the apprentice the you know the you're fired guy uh and i think at the time i think and maybe it wasn't serious maybe it was kind of just a joke or something like that but then as he started hosting these rallies and the events i saw a certain type of energy uh a certain type of grit that you just didn't see out of other candidates at the time the 17 others that were on that debate stage with him uh he knew how to break down issues he knew how to communicate with the average everyday American. Something that you know made us lose in 2008, 2012 was because we had two guys who knew how to connect with white collar workers. He didn't know how to connect with the blue collar base, the base of America that feels uh, that their, their voice isn't heard anymore. And Trump gave them that voice. He literally, in my mind, created a Reagan revolution where Democrats and Republicans were going out and voting for him. And that energy that you saw on that debate stage when he was debating Hillary Clinton, just how funny he was in front of a camera, how entertaining he was uh, to the audience. He knew how to keep people tuned in and he turned debates into Super Bowls, I mean, le legitimately. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that for a lot of young college students, a lot of young people who felt like they just weren't interested in politics or they wanted to get interested in it, but they just weren't, you know, weren't, sure, uh, weren't sure how, uh, or they just didn't understand what was being talked about, Trump was able to break that down in a way that helped them understand. And he made it fun and he made it energizing and entertaining. He literally created a whole brand around the MAGA movement. I think we played a big part into doing that. And, you know, young people have loved it and they've been big supporters of him. We've been across hundreds and hundreds of college campuses these last four years promoting this president and fighting for this guy. And I, I think that that support's going to continue on even after he's out of office.
Yeah. Um, you know, where do you think this this energy will go? I mean, that's that's what's really shocking to me. It's like you can't just you just can't put, you know, a, a bandage on Niagara Falls is what I've been saying, all, you know, for over a month now. Where is this energy going to go? Yeah, you know, the way that I look at this is that we have right now two years uh, until or really a year and a half until we go into these these primaries uh, in 2022, um, which are going to be very, very highly contested. There's going to be a lot of Republicans who are going to lose their seats to new Republicans coming in after this impeachment uh this impeachment charade we just saw, uh, and you're going to see a lot of Democrats lose their seats as well. I'm hoping we win back the House in 2022. We go on to win the Senate uh, and eventually, hopefully, the White House again. And maybe it is a President Donald J. Trump that wins his second term after Joe Biden. Um, you know, that's what we're hoping for. But this energy is going to continue because just like Reagan, when the Republican Party became the, the, the party of Reagan, this is going to become the party of Trump. It's going to become the party of his policies, putting America first, putting Americans first, putting our masks on before we help other people, if you know what I'm saying. Um, this is sort of where it's going. And I think that the Republicans who voted in favor of impeachment uh, and you have Democrats now calling for unity uh, is the biggest laugh uh, you could ever have because they don't want unity if they impeached him for a second time. They don't want unity if they support and cheered on his ban from Twitter when over half of the country supports this president, they're not going to get that unity. So we're going to keep fighting forward. We're going to keep opposing their radical agenda in this country. And we're going to continue to make America great again. Trump is not leaving the national stage. That is guaranteed. You know, um, you certainly have your finger on the pulse of the millennials, uh, particularly those on the right and those who loyally followed Donald Trump and supported him all the way. Now, what has been the sentiment among young people ever since the election? You know, I think a lot of young people, uh, they're kind of dismayed by what happened. You know, a lot of people strongly still around 70 to 76 percent of this country still believes this election was stolen. And of that, there's a lot of young people who are just disappointed. They're upset. They feel like they've been cheated as well because maybe it was their first time voting for President Donald J. Trump like it was for many other Americans in 2016. And they put all their hope in that vote that that was going to count for them, that that was going to go towards helping reelect President Donald J. Trump. And there's a lot of young people who just called me. I've talked to them over the last couple of weeks since the election and they felt cheated. Uh, so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's you've energized a whole new militia, a whole new army, I would say, um, in support of this president, in support of these policies. They're not going to give up and we're not going to give up on them either. Uh, I can't go into many details, but turning point action is going to be. Uh, which is the sister organization of Turning Point USA, which runs students for Trump. Uh, we're going to be hitting the ground aggressively here in the next couple of months, uh, really working out there to fight for this agenda, to fight for these policies, and to continue fighting for the work that this president's accomplished. Well, I know you're certainly busy, and we'd love to hear about that once you can speak about it. Um, you know, you're, you're someone who has quite a presence on, on social media, on Twitter. So does your organization, um, Students for Trump. And I'm sure you have some very strong opinions uh, about what Jack has already done to President Trump, banning his entire platform. Um, but we have some somewhat breaking news. Many of you may not have heard um, about this video that was leaked on, um, on the Internet uh, last night um, talking about um, it's, it's actually Jack. This is a leaked video. Again, this is not something that that he knows. This was openly, you know, found and investigated. Um, but it is being brought to you, and uh, I'd like you to take a listen. 
We are focused on one account right now, but this is going to be much bigger than just one account, and it's going to go on for much longer than just this day, this week. I don't believe this is going away anytime soon, and the moves that we're making today uh, around uh, QAnon, for instance, is one such example of a much broader approach um, that we should be looking at um, and, and going deeper on. Uh, that, of course, is Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, who does some wonderful uh, investigative undercover work. Ryan, your thoughts? You know, this confirms exactly what we have been saying these last four and five years, is that social media has an ulterior motive against conservatives. And it's very clear here. They banned the president of the United States, something that I never thought would happen. Um, you know, it first started last year with putting those little labels over the president's treat, tweets during the George Floyd riots. But now it's come to the point where they've banned him from almost every single social media platform you can imagine. Um, and it's just disgusting. Uh, their, their market values combined, Facebook, Twitter dropped 51 billion combined market value. They're seeing the, the results of what happens when a company makes a bad decision. Trump made Twitter. And I think many people can agree the only reason why people were on there was to see what Trump was saying, was to listen to the president. So I'm not surprised I lost 150,000 followers these last four days on right. Twitter. I'm not surprised because people are upset, they're pissed, uh, and they have the right to be. But this goes no. down into a deeper, broader issue, though. When you look at Section 230, you look at the fact that we've been trying to amend this for the last three to four years. Amend it. Don't get rid of it entirely. Amend it. We need oversight. There needs to be responsibility on these companies when they make decisions like this that have a massive effect on public dialogue, public discussion, when they get to decide who is and who isn't allowed on their website. Right. These types of things matter because they have become the public square in our debates, in our discussions. And that is the way that Donald Trump has communicated effectively with his supporters and the country. And to take away his voice, to take away his platform is the most egregious act that you can do as a tech company. But is it is it up to conservatives to ask for that reform on tech companies? You, you, I mean, you you outlined exactly what the economic retribution would be. So I'm sure someone like Jack or Zuckerberg or any one of these guys are smart enough to understand what the, the economic backlash would be, but would still take that risk in order to get conservatives off. So it's such an ideal, deeply ideological feeling that they would want the conservatives off of their platform that would there ever even be a fix for, for conservatives? Well, you know, I told, you know, I told people a long time ago, I already sold my Twitter and Facebook stocks the moment they started suppressing conservatives years ago. Um, I mean, this is just something that we've had to deal with. We've had to just pucker up and deal with the fact that we might not have an account on social media tomorrow. They did it with students for Trump. Now, they didn't permanently ban us, but they put us on a 12-hour suspension, locked us out of our account. Right. We wake up the next day, figuring the time it would take us to appeal it, we'd be unlocked or unblocked anyway. Wake up the next day to a seven-day Suspension that would go on until after the inauguration of Joe Biden. So, I mean, this is something conservatives, you can't give up this yeah. fight. You can't, you can never give up this fight. When you fight for something and you believe in something, you have to keep going after it because at some point or another, they're going to do the same thing to Democrat voices that they don't, that they don't agree with. And then you're going to see some Democrats come on board. And there has been Democrats who support this. Right. This has to be bipartisan because this affects everybody. It affects public discourse. It affects the narratives that are being driven by the media. What we talk about, if you have social media, you are a part of that game. You're a part of that narrative that they get to play on you each and every single day. 
Um, and, and we have to continue to fight back and we have to work to get bipartisan support on the issue because right. they're not just going to come for us. Eventually, they're going to come for Democrats, too. Yeah, but that eventuality is not really relevant. We said the same thing about the, the cheating at the, on the election and that's going to you know, really affect us as a country. Same thing with, with social media. But in the long term and short term, um, what's the plan for conservatives from your perspective? Parler got shut down. Um, Twitter, we know where they stand. Facebook, uh, kind of on the fence as well. Where do conservatives go long term, short term? You know, there's a lot of rumors out there right now. There's a lot of uh, stuff going around that the president may start his own platform. And I've heard the same thing. And I pray to God he does uh, something that could compete uh, with the media that can compete with these giant tech firms. I believe it's 100% going in towards that direction. Now, Parler, I'm hearing, is close to being able to get back up. I believe they found a server provider, but you know, with infrastructure like what they had, it's going to take some time uh, to get that back up and rescale it to what it was. Now, you know, looking at the president, looking at where we are now as a country, where we are as a party, the party really has to look at themselves in the mirror and they have to determine, do we want to go back to losing elections like we did in years prior with John McCain and Mitt Romney, or do we want to move forth with a pro-America, anti-socialist, anti-communist platform that really supports what's great about America? I mean, it's no coincidence that a historic number of minorities, you know, turned out and supported Donald J. Trump in this recent election. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's no coincidence because he actually provided tangibles to these communities. If we go out there and actually do what we say, when we say something to the American people on a debate stage, we say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Well, you better well deliver on it. Right. The way that I look at it, the best way, put Obama, put Bush's name, put Clinton's name on a chart, put a, a Bush's name on the chart, put Obama's name on the chart, put Trump's name on the chart. You can put, I promise next to every one of them, except Trump. And you put, I delivered next to him because that's just what we saw these last four years is, is a nation booming beyond anything we saw in the Obama years, beyond anything we saw in the Bush years. And that's something to be proud of. And we as a party have to look at that and decide, are we going to go back to what it was in the good old days? Or are we going to go and we're going to fight for this message, fight for this country and ultimately win elections again? Have, have millennials changed their opinion about Donald Trump um, ever since the Capitol uh, incident or, you know, in the aftermath of the election? Has there been an about face in, you know, saying, you know, I want to distance myself from this guy a bit because he's being smeared to the point where I don't want to go down with him? No, no. I From what I can tell, I mean, we'd have to do a poll on that. But everyone who we've worked with, who we bust in, we bust in. Uh, plenty of students from across the country to attend the president's speech on the 6th of that morning. Uh, and then, yes, there was a plan for a peaceful march to the Capitol. I was supposed mm -hmm. to be speaking at the Capitol that day. And there were, I mean, I couldn't even count as many on my hand. There were thousands of young people out there at the president's event, all up close to the front, thousands of young students. And the media doesn't show those photos. We posted one on Students for Trump. They don't show those photos of all the young supporters out there and how peaceful and calm and, and how united it felt. Uh, to hear the president that morning uh, when he gave his speech. Um, so no, I wouldn't say uh, conclusively that there is any sort of change. I mean, you may have people who may think something different after seeing what happened at the Capitol, but you can't put all blame on the president. Uh, this is something that's built up for four years. If you get to loot, riot, and destroy your communities, and I'm in no way condoning what happened at the Capitol, but I'm saying that people watch from their living rooms across the country as the nation's capital was set ablaze, as Pittsburgh was set ablaze, Minneapolis, Portland, 
uh, cities in California for the, the, the last six months of yes. the George Floyd riots. When you people see that, mm -hmm. they get enraged. When you feel like you're getting kicked in the face every day by the media and the left, you get enraged. And that was going to happen. At some point or another, whether it was there or another small city across the country, something like that was going to happen. And I have to put blame in many other places than on Trump supporters. You have to put it on the media. You have to put it on social media, the toxic conversations that people have had over the years on social media about Trump. Uh, you know, there's so many different angle, angles and there's so much fear and hate that have been built up from Trump right. supporters because of what they've heard. So I'm not surprised. But to answer yeah. your question, I know we went off a little bit. No, I don't think anything has changed greatly among the support of Donald Trump. People may have not liked what they saw that day, but I believe strongly that they support him and his policies that made this country better. Yeah, um, I, I since you brought up accountability, I saw this, this story this morning about Democrats now demanding a probe into the Capitol tours that were given by congressional members the day before uh, on, on January 5th. Um, talk about really finding a way to take this one incident with about two or three percent of the protesters being violent and really just with a broad brushstroke, just blaming every conservative in Washington and doing that, hoping that it lasts uh, in, in the in the long run. No, I mean, they, they literally legitimately want to get members of Congress out who objected to the election. They want to take members of Congress out who support this president. They're putting a target on their back for Antifa and it's really bad. Uh, it's really dangerous to see the precedent that's being set, especially with impeachment. Everything going on right now is a very, very dangerous precedent. And they know very well that that 25th Amendment is going to be uh, an overcast of the Joe Biden presidency with Kamala right. Harris as vice president. It's going to be an overcast uh, and really a sh dark, uh, scary shadow for them uh, in these next four years as Joe Biden takes office. But I will say, I mean, this is the stuff that you see in communist China. You see exactly. it with the censorship. You see it with how the Congress is acting. Um, I want to put blame on, I, you know, I heard a little bit about that, about, you know, there's people accusing congressmen and women of giving tours to these, these uh, you know, radicalized individuals or whatnot. Um, in most of these cases, you don't know who's going on your tour. I've been on tours with random people. And it just so happens that there were millions of Americans in our capital wanting to support the president of the United States. Why not get a capital tour uh, while we're there? It's not hard. So, I mean, just the logic that people are using right now to just pin any little thing that they can on a conservative is laughable to me. And we need to take it like we've taken it the last four years, laugh at them, move on and keep doing our work. I mean, that's really what happened at the end of the day. Right. And um, specifically to your work, I want to get back to the work you do uh, on college campuses and really um, getting and organizing and, and rallying together young people. Um, that that environment is going to change even more so. I know that the college campus is a very dangerous place to begin with, with uh, particularly with with radicalization and just the left just owning the the, the conversation there and not allowing any other perspectives to be heard. But um, this very accurate quote on your website that I love: "College campuses were once a defender of knowledge and freedom of thought. They have since become epicenters of ignorance and of, of oppression." Um, you know, how does this change? Do we just give up on college campuses? Do we change our approach? I mean, how has your work changed? You know, I said that quote in 2017 in a speech in Washington, D.C., uh, and it's never rung more true. And I started to form this opinion and really 
look into what Charlie's doing on our campus, look what Candace Owens is doing. Uh, and, and I thought to myself that this is an ongoing battle that we need to be all involved in. I tell people, stop giving money to your alma mater. Stop giving money right. to these endowments, these multi-billion dollar endowments at some of these schools where they're getting money from COVID relief, all this, that, and the third, when they don't even need it. Small businesses need it, not the universities that have pocketbooks uh, that, you know, that go for miles. This is a massive problem because when you look at the college campus, you have a very small group of people at the top that make these decisions. Majority of the people in that very small group, almost every single instance is a leftist, as someone who's a Democrat who believes in socialism or communism and has promoted it at one point or another. And it's a scary thing. Just look at Campus Reform's website. It's really scary that there's a disproportionate group of people making these decisions saying, oh, we don't want Ben Shapiro on our campus like at DePaul University in Illinois. So we're not going to have him at our campus, even though it may benefit some students to hear what he has to say or, you know, pushing Ann Coulter's speech until after final exams before schools let out for summer uh, a couple of years ago at UC Berkeley. Uh, little instances like that. Uh, but I tell parents all the time, I say, stop giving money to these yep. universities. If you don't know what you want to do with your life, don't go to a college and waste money and spend your first two years doing gen ed courses and paying into this system where you could go to a community college and do it for less than half the cost. Just stop giving money, stop supporting them. And we need to start demanding that these universities, if they have, I'm so against affirmative action, but it's getting to the point where it's almost like maybe you should hire conservative, you know, if they're good at what they do, if they're good at teaching and they're conservative, hire them. You know, I feel like we need more conservatives within the education system because some of the stuff that I've seen come out of these college campuses, friends who I knew were conservative uh, in high school, going to university, turning out to hate Donald Trump, the headline generation, right? Their friend tells them something, they read a little segment online, and now they form their whole opinion on Donald Trump. That is what we're dealing with. And it's coming out of these college campuses where students are going in one view and coming out being totally indoctrinated because of stuff their professors have said, their peers have said, not even forming an opinion on their own, but listening to someone else's and generating a pure hatred for someone off of it. Uh, and that's how we've become as a society. But the battle is not over. The battle is not over. We have to keep fighting on the college campuses, keep sending conservative speakers to college campuses and keep what I call preaching the gospel. You know, you need to do it. Um, it's almost like a traveling missionary in a way. You need to go on these college campuses, speak to students directly, give them the facts, give them your opinion, give them what the president has done these last four years, surpass the media, surpass everything on social media and talk to them directly, debate, discussion. I've seen so many people come out of a conversation with me or someone else because we just took the time and talked to them and they went out and researched it or they email us a couple days later saying, thank you so much for taking that 10 minutes to talk to me. That's the way we're going to win back the college campuses. Yeah. I mean, how do you get around that? You know, um, the, the Bernie Sanders, um, uh, you know, the, the people, you know, pitching for him on college campuses where he's such a cute little grandpa. You just want to have a pastrami sandwich with him. Um, and then, you know, this orange man who is brutal and, you know, harsh and speaks so awfully and he's bigoted and he is an anti-Semite, even though he's done more for Israel and the Jewish people than Moses. And, you know, it just goes on and on. How do you fight these lies day in and day out? You know, it's it's such a hard job. Um, and if you would have asked me five years ago when I started this, if my job would have turned into this, I would have laughed at you and said, you're lying to me. Um, it really, you know, it's scary. 
And the fight is not over. And it's not one that you get to do one year or during an election year and give up on it. It's a fight that you have to really just continually do 24-7, you know, 365. I mean, you just have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. And we have to have these conversations. We have to talk to people. If we just sit in the corner and we put our views on social media and we respond to nobody, we say nothing to our friends, we we don't voice or raise our concerns about what's happening. Uh, at that point in time, you're losing because you're sitting in an echo chamber and you don't want to be in an echo chamber, especially on a college campus, which is why we had over 300, close to 400 chapters uh, at D1 schools and down all across the country, tabling every single day, registering voters, talking to students, uh, even on some occasions getting harassed and attacked. And we've gotten on video, put it out all over the place. But it's like you have to hold people accountable. You have to take some responsibility in this fight and realize that, you know, if we want our country to be as great as it was, uh, you know, years ago when we were landing on the moon, we had some of the strongest economy where we were producing more than China was producing for us. If you want to get back to that point in time, you have to fight for it and you have to speak up about it and you have to be willing to go have these conversations and say why this is a good idea and why maybe what you're saying is wrong. And here's the facts, right? Uh, this is stuff that I pride myself on probably too much is that being able to just have that dialogue, not be afraid or upset about what they might say about our side, because we're not perfect. You know, we're not the, the greatest people in the world. The left isn't the greatest people in the world, but we try to be. We try mm -hmm. to be perfect. We, we aim for that. Uh, and, and really, when I look at the party right now, I look at a party that's in a perfect position to keep pushing this agenda, keep pushing this on the college campus, show students compared to Donald Trump to now, looking in a year in, 100, year, 100 days into Joe Biden's presidency, how are we then versus to how are we going to be, you know, 100 what do you, days into Joe what, Biden's what, what do you expect to see in the first 100 days or more? Uh, I, I think what we're going to see is sweeping, sweeping um, regulations, uh, mandates that are out of control, mask mandates. We're probably going to see uh, some of the most draconian things come out of this administration in terms of trying to keep this virus under control, the economy getting shut back down, businesses going out. It's going to feel like March uh, of 2019, probably, or 2020. Um, and, you know, I'm not looking forward to it. And I think don't think a lot of Americans are. Um, it's mm -hmm. scary. I, I, you know, I, I, I can't predict and I don't want to project on it, but I, I don't think it's going to be good. And I think the economy is going to suffer greatly from all of this. Um, and, you know, I really am praying for this country. I really yeah. am. And I think that every American should be praying for this country. Yeah. Um, what are your plans for your movement and, and personally in the next four years? Uh, you know, for me, I, I'm focusing on wanting to launch a show. Uh, you know, it's something that I've always wanted to do is be able to just have conversations sort of like we're having to uh, to an audience and, Maybe someone will learn something. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll walk out knowing something that they didn't. So is it is um, breaking news. And, and did, you, so, did you just announce it for the first time here? I'm sorry. Is was that breaking news? Did you just announce that for the first time? No, no. Well, I mean, it's I, I've never announced it on a program, so I guess you could say it is breaking news here. Um, but it has been something. I launched a nude site called RFAngle.com, the RF Angle, uh, and we're going to be launching a show with the same name. So I think that. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, keep pushing the message because we got this audience. We have these bases of people who want to hear. They want content. They want to fight for their country. And we're going to continue to deliver that fight right from the home front. 
and be reporting and discussing, uh, you know, all these different types of guests, having them on the show and just talking about what's happening in this country and how we can fight back and, uh, you know, what they can do to help these next four years because we're going to need it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, kudos to you, I, left, right or center. I think um, it's a bipartisan uh, opinion to say that the fact that you're getting young people involved, the fact that you're getting them engaged and participating uh, is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing for their future and for the future of this country. And I hope that we have uh, better days ahead. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. Thank you so much. And for those of you who want to subscribe to our podcast, you can catch us on Apple or on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to sign up for our daily top 10 email, go to foreigndesknews.com slash newsletter and we will see you next time.